Hello and welcome to our last episode in series one of Institutional Insights on how pensions will help to build the future of the UK. I'm your host, Paige Wilson, new business manager, and today I welcome three guests, Natalie Bentley, Head of Operational Business Development at Legal and General Retirement Institutional, and Will Devani, Head of Infrastructure Debt for the UK and Europe, and Charles-Henri Lequant, Head of Infrastructure North America from Legal and General Investment Management. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at how insurers like LNG can use pension money to invest back into society. So welcome, Natalie, Will and Charles-Henri. Could you start by giving our audience an overview of how your two teams work together when it comes to writing new PRT transactions and also into investing in new infrastructure projects? Thanks, Paige. From a private credit perspective within Elgin, Charles-Henri and I sit on the investment team side and we work closely together to look at the opportunity set looking ahead in the infrastructure market. And through that lens, we can provide visibility and help inform decisions around what that opportunity set looks like and this looks at the sector as a whole and looks at you know duration rating diversification and 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 all sorts of related considerations i think one of the key challenges to that process in the infrastructure market in particular is is the size of the opportunity set and that the the primary deals that we look at actually tend to be more lumpy and one off in nature they're quite bespoke and often it's it's not as easy as it is in other markets to predict when those deals are actually going to come through and become available. From the LGRPRT side of the coin, we'll be in touch with the Elgin Real Assets teams, including Will's area, to get their view of that opportunity set that he talked about. And this gives us an idea of the potential supply of, of the different types of assets, the infrastructure assets and their parameters over an upcoming period of time. We'll then use this to feed into our plans about how much business and what type of business we want to write over that same period. Now, inevitably, the supply and demand shifts over the course of time, and that's where the constant engagement and communication between LGR and LGIM is essential. And there are other type of assets that we utilise to support PRT new business. It's not just infrastructure assets. So that gives us a bit more flexibility. For example, if the supply of infrastructure assets is less than we would like or had expected, we can try and supplement that with other types of assets or vice versa if the supply is more. So both teams clearly play a very important role in the success of LGR continuing to write new business, especially as the, de- the demand continues to increase for such de-risking solutions. We published a report earlier this year called The Power of Pensions, which highlights how insurers can contribute around £150 to £190 billion pounds in UK infrastructure over the next 10 years. As insurers, why is it important for us to invest um, in infrastructure assets? This is a critical sector and it provides essential services to the UK. It ensures jobs, productivity, and it's it's key to economic growth. And I think really importantly right now, investment in infrastructure is going to be one of the key components of driving a recovery when we sort of enter a post more stable COVID landscape. The opportunities are typically underpinned by predictable, stable, long-term cash flows, and, and therefore provide an opportunity to sort of match long-term liabilities. And that makes a lot of sense for our investor set. And as a sector, it's one that is less correlated to traditional asset classes, 
offers diversification, illiquidity premium, and it's underpinned by sort of regulation. It's also a sector that's predominantly consistent and with and, and sort of enables attractive ESG investments, so, you know, positive environmental impact, whether that's investing in, in renewable power generation, it's investing in societies, communities, whether that's through schools, hospitals, uh, or other, and also boost local and national economies. And the regulatory and government governance framework around the investment set in universe is, 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 is robust. So it's a strong ESG investment thesis. I mean, I would just add, if you look at the past few years, I mean, you've heard more and more of the word infrastructure investing coming to the front. I think from, a, from an investor perspective, it's also important to, to mention that on our side, I mean, we are investing on, on the private side, which has a lot of benefits for, for our investors in the sense that you're getting, uh, you know, a lot closer to the asset. You're also having uh, direct discussions uh, with equity sponsors. Uh, it's also portfolio diversification. So, so a good example is, um, uh, is what is our biggest investment uh, into, into the infrastructure asset, the London Gateway. Uh, port, uh, so which was yeah, a transaction where our investors have invested uh, around 400, 400 million pounds. Uh, so it's refinancing of the debt uh, which was incurred uh, by the London, London Gateway port, uh, which is uh, the newest port uh, in the UK. And, and if you look at the opportunity set for our investors on, on the public side, it's, uh, it's very difficult to get exposure to the, to the post sector. So it was a great way for them to, uh, to invest into an asset that you wouldn't typically see. And I would say, I mean, it's, it's also been the same uh, looking at our offshore wind investments. Again, it was a, a great way for our investors to get exposure to this asset class. Thanks both. So not only do these types of assets provide the stable cash flows we need to pay our pension scheme members, but will also play a critical role in supporting economic recovery in a post-COVID world and hopefully work towards a more sustainable and green economy. Natalie, can you talk to us about why infrastructure assets make such good investments for PRT business and if they bring any benefits to our to our clients? When we're looking for assets to support PRT new business, we're looking for assets where the incoming cash flows that we expect to receive will, will be a really good match for the outgoing cash flows that we expect to pay to the PRT scheme members. And in particular, that means making sure that the timing of the cash flows and the amount of the cash flows match. That gives us comfort that we'll be able to meet all our liabilities in the future. And it also means that we can do that in the most capital efficient way based on regulatory requirements. So again, leading to the fact that we can charge as competitive premiums as possible so that the PRT clients get the best deal. And I think there are a number of reasons why infrastructure assets are really well placed for that matching duty. For a start, they can be very long term assets, uh, which will match the long duration of the liabilities that we tend to take on. I think as Will has already mentioned that you know they tend to provide very stable and predictable returns. Um, that that matches well given the generally guaranteed nature or inflation-linked nature of the liabilities that we have. So it doesn't introduce undue risk. And there's also uh, an argument to say that the the default or downgrade risk on these investments is is lower than maybe in other asset classes with greater downside protection because I think there are often financial covenants or collateral arrangements in place on these on these assets. And despite all of that, the returns that we expect to receive on them will still generally be better than we might generate from corporate bonds. So again, that helps us with the competitive pricing, which is to the advantage of the PRT client. 
Thanks, Natalie. It's great to hear that by investing in these types of assets, our business is not only supporting our economy, but also able to offer pension schemes more competitive pricing. Now, moving on to the government's role within the infrastructure sector, Boris Johnson has recently announced his commitment to invest £5 billion to accelerate infrastructure projects to help aid the recovery of the economy. Do you think this is enough and is there anything the government can do or put in place to further support investment into this sector? Yes, sure. I mean, it's investment in infrastructure is going to be a key driver of the recovery. Government role in that is, to my mind, absolutely critical. What has been announced over the summer is very strong and positive and supportive. Um, and But it will also be really important for the government to be clear in identifying what the strategy is and what they're seeking to, to deliver and how the government's sort of policy and regulatory framework will, will, will support that. Clearly, there is a big gap between what the investment needs are and what the public's ability to, to, to provide is. There was a gap pre-COVID. I think the gap has got a lot bigger through COVID. Um, so private investment is going to be key to bridging that gap and delivering the needs. As I said, whilst there is a huge amount of institutional capital, you know, the, the, the procurement and the opportunity set needs to be structured in a way that fits that capital. And, and so from an investment perspective, we need to see the government supporting that to ensure that that large pool of, in particular, institutional investment grade style capital can come into the projects. Thanks, Will. So it's really going to be a combined effort between the government and private investors like ourselves to plug the UK's infrastructure gap. Now, there are a number of infrastructure sectors um, and it would be interesting to know how you decide which projects to invest in. Is there a strategy you follow or are there certain sectors you focus on? So we, we look at infrastructure across, I would say, four main pillars. One is energy which is predominantly renewables. One is transportation slash mobility. One is social infrastructure. And the fourth is, is digital infrastructure. Some of the investments we've done include Hornsey Offshore Wind, very sizable investment in 1.2 gigawatt offshore wind farm uh, in the UK North Sea, which is in fact one of the largest in the world, able to power over a million homes in the UK with green electricity. So that's, that's one good example. The Thames Tideway Tunnel is another. And that is effectively the build out of a super sewer in London. And whilst maybe not that attractive as a headline, what it is doing is preventing around 40 million tonnes of untreated sewage entering the Thames each year. So again, critical investment for society. And maybe the third one I'll, I'll reference is a transaction we closed a couple of years ago, Wells and Borders. That is um, a fleet of electric and bimodal trains. But what it is effectively doing is it's replacing an ageing and sort of dirty diesel fleet and hence thereby you know, reducing emissions uh, and support, supporting the transition to low carbon from a mobility and transportation perspective. Thanks, Will. So the key sectors we focus on then are working towards a more inclusive and greener economy. Charlene Reed, would you be able to tell us about some of the sectors your team in the US focuses on and if you're able to touch upon some of the projects you've invested in as well? I'm focusing on, uh, on deploying money in North America. And we've been active in the U.S. since uh, 2016, uh, with our first investment being the University of California Merced Campus Transaction, uh, which was the first time that a public-private partnership was applied in the U.S. educational sector. Uh, and since this investment, uh, we've been active across the infrastructure spectrum, uh, 
so investing into renewables, uh, solar, uh, investing into uh, utilities, investing into uh, LNG terminals, transportation. So we've been yeah, really, really active uh, into, into different sectors. And we are, uh, you know, convinced that uh, there is a, a huge set of opportunities uh, in the US. Uh, it's a huge country uh, with a huge needs for, for new infrastructure. Great, thanks. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's obviously a lot of opportunities in the UK, um, but on a more global basis, especially focusing on North America itself. ESG is definitely a hot topic at the moment with trustees and many other stakeholders. Question for you, Natalie, do you think trustees, when looking to de-risk their schemes, are going to consider what PRT providers are doing in this space and how they'll structure scheme assets going forward around ESG? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's becoming increasingly clear that, that that interest is there and it's growing. So while the trustees first responsibility is always going to be to the current and future pensioners of the scheme and their financial stability, they are more and more looking to see that there's going to be a positive impact in the world and in the community um, from what what the insurer does with the money that they hand over when they pay their PRT premium. And I think that goes as you say, for the wider ESG point, not just infrastructure assets, uh, it's rapidly becoming one of the biggest topics in the industry. Now, with the main challenge, we go back to this year and being COVID, of course. So before we end today, could you just tell us a little bit about what you think a post-COVID-19 world is going to look like for UK infrastructure in particular? Should I start with Natalie and then we'll, we'll work around? I think the thing that's going to be interesting from my perspective is I hear so many different views at the moment about the extent to which the change to a work from home culture will remain and how much we will revert back to the the old way of predominantly being office-based workers. Um, I think yeah people have very different views as to where in that scale we might end up when you look forward to two or five years from now but wherever we end up on that scale it, it has to be seen as highly likely that to some extent the relative need for the different types of infrastructure projects that that Will and, and Charles Henri have already mentioned that the balance seems likely to change um, but Overall demand, I think, as everyone has already said today, given the gap that there is, the overall demand has to remain high. So this this is going to remain uh, a huge, huge demand and a huge source of assets uh, for years to come. Will, do you have any comments or opinions on what's to come? I think we've we've seen some unprecedented things, to be honest. Some some asset classes which have previously been viewed as incredibly robust, and, and thinking in particular passenger-related transport assets. Um, have had real challenges. And, and, and so those assets generally are those which are linked to people movement or those with strong GDP linkage. But we, you know, we believe they have strong long-term stories. Um, there are emerging areas of infrastructure which um, have performed very well. So digital is, is one which we've touched on. That's an emerging sector, and we're going to see a lot of opportunity around fibre rollout data centres. And power utilities has continued. A little bit more BAU in terms of it's an essential service, albeit from an investment perspective, you know, there has been a drop-off in electricity demand, and that's you know that has led to a decrease in the merchant power price, uh, which has had knock-on effects on, on valuations, etc. I think looking forward, you know, the, we believe the asset class will remain very robust. Um, Transportation will obviously recover, although the path is a little less certain. I think 
for, for roads. It's likely to bounce back pretty quickly, as it's already shown through the course of the year. I think for airports and rail, the long-term story is robust, but it, there will be a, a much slower um, recovery to, to levels that we've seen pre-2020. Um, the growth areas, so digital, we've mentioned, you know, there is, you know, just frankly facilitating um, through infrastructure that exponential need for data transport, storage, There'll be a huge rollout of renewable power generation, which is required, frankly, to meet net zero targets by 2050. Uh, and also an emerging asset class, which will, I think, migrate into infrastructure more and more as it matures, which is businesses supporting the energy transition. That, you know, in some of those areas, they're higher risk today, but I think they will become more conventional infrastructure asset classes as, as we evolve. And whether that's around electric vehicle charging, whether it's around energy storage, um, emiss emissions avoidance, capture. And I think the final piece overlaid across the whole sort of sector is technology. And that's going to play a very important role going forward. So, you know, growth and technology advancements, which are going to improve project delivery, they're going to lead to more efficient operations and maintenance and, you know, performance monitoring, data analytics, predictive maintenance techniques. And they're going to, that's really going to impact in a positive way, um, I think, the sector going forward. And effectively, what COVID has created, it's kind of an acceleration of a trend that we were already seeing. So it's, uh, it's been, yeah, a, a very fascinating year. I think people are going to, to learn a lot from, from what happened uh, this year in terms of yeah, structuring transaction, looking at on new investments and, and so on. So there will definitely be, be some, some lessons taken. I would say the big winner of, of this crisis uh, uh, is going to be uh, yeah is digital infrastructure as well as all all the ESG uh, all, all the ESG sectors and renewables uh, with a lot of investments and more and more investors keen to invest into into this asset class across the world. Thanks all. Yeah, different sectors have indeed been infected in in different ways. And Charles Henri, you mentioned the infrastructure gap has very much widened with the onset in COVID, and therefore demand for investment will continue to stay high for some time. It will be interesting to see the innovation that emerges from societal changes and the impact it has on some of the growth asset classes, Will, that you mentioned, such as digital and renewable energy. And I'd be looking forward to see seeing more about the emerging asset class of business supporting the transition to renewable energy that you mentioned. So that's all we have time for today. I want to thank our guests, Natalie, Will and Charlene Ree for taking the time to discuss how we can use pension money to plug the UK's infrastructure gap and give it back to society. Unfortunately, this is our last episode of the series for 2020, but we will be back early next year with more insights into our legal and general retirement institutional business. You can subscribe to our podcast, Institutional Insights, via iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening and goodbye. Mm -hmm.